Let's pray. All right. Let's quiet ourselves, just still ourselves before the Lord. Let's pray. I want you to really enter in yourself now with the Lord. You know, your spirit, deep down within you, I don't even know whether you can find it, but you know where it is. But that's what I'm asking you to muster, find your spirit, your heart, maybe that's another way you could put it, your heart, and just cry out to God. Just reach out from your heart to God and say, Lord, I want to meet you. I want to encounter you tonight. How about that? So, Father, it's you we want. It's you we want, our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We want you. We don't want anything else. We don't want anyone else. We just want you. Our heart and our flesh cry out for the living God. When shall we come and appear before God? So it is your glorious presence that we seek tonight. And we pray that you'll break in us upon us, Lord. Break in upon us, upon our consciousness, upon our minds, upon our hearts, emotions, overwhelm us. And upon our behaviors, break the powers of darkness that have us in bondage to habits of the will, that our wills may be surrendered to you, that our spirits may be bowed before you and our bodies will be filled with you to come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and meet with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We are reading from Psalm 63. Uh, who was here the first night? I did uh, the first night on it. Second night? Third night? Now you're just bluffing now. You don't really know. There's a few of you here every night. Thank you for coming. And some joined the odd night. doesn't really matter. But we're glad to have you each week. And thank you for coming tonight. Psalm 63 of a word from the Lord on the passionate pursuit of God and his glory. The passionate pursuit of God's glory. Okay, that's where we are tonight. And we've looked at the presence of God in the garden. We've looked at the presence of God at the tabernacle and the temple. We looked at the presence of God in the ark that was carried away from Israel in Ezekiel's day. We've seen the presence of God in Emmanuel last week, the Lord Jesus Christ, the epitome of the presence of God, God incarnate. But um, Tonight we're going to look at how we need to passionately pursue this presence. Now let's look at this psalm. We'll not read it all, but uh, let's take our time reading it. Oh God, you are my God. It's wonderful to be able to say, he's my God. Early will I seek you, or earnestly will I seek you. Do you seek the Lord early? Now I don't mean be legalistic about when we... uh, have our time with the Lord. But I just have to tell you, there's no better time than the morning. There really isn't. And there's not a rule that says that, but it's a principle throughout Scripture. You give God the best of your day, and it starts the best of your day. And I really would recommend highly. Uh, It doesn't have to be the main time that you have with God if you're not a morning person. But it's very important, I think, to start the day with God. Yeah? Early will I seek you. It's a priority, so you seek Him early. Do you understand? My soul thirsts for you. Your soul is comprised, we think largely, of your mind. 
Does your mind hunger inquisitively after God? Do you want to think about God? Is your head filled with conceptual uh, uh, reasoning over the attributes of God? Do you appraise the Lord to praise the Lord? To appreciate him, you have to appraise him. To think about God. And do you feel what you think about him? A lot of people in church don't feel what they think about God. They just think. And they have a cerebral faith. That Christianity is largely intellectual, doctrinal, theological, but it's only concept. It's not experience. You know, God is meant to be experienced. Like every relationship and our emotions. And your will, as I prayed earlier. Our behavior is meant to change, folks. If you know God, you're not going to stay the same. You're going to be transformed. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. That is the body. I think some translation says my whole being uh, longs for you. And the idea there is, I mean, it literally is flesh, but the idea is this. Listen, if your flesh is crying out for God, you can be sure that God's got your soul and your spirit. You know, the body usually is the last to cave in. Because the body has those appetites, you know, those drives like sex and food and sleep. You know, bodily appetites that are hard to bend at times and be crucified. But as Mitch quoted from Romans chapter 12, that's why Paul says, present your bodies. Because the inference is... If you put your body on the altar, everything else is there as well. It's the whole being. And David is saying, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. So every fiber of my being, everything that I am, is longing for God. There's not a compartmentalism of my being here that my spirit is seeking after God, but my body still runs after the things of the flesh. No, no, no. This is all of me. All of me wants all of you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. The NIV translated, I I have seen you in uh, the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. So authorized version of the King James, New King James are saying the desire is to see him in the sanctuary. The NIV is inferring that he's, he's thinking about the past when he did see God, it doesn't really matter. What we really want to see here is that if you long for God with your soul and with your flesh, then you need to look for God. If you say you're longing for him, you need then to be looking for him. And this is what David was doing. I want to see you in the sanctuary. To see your power. And your glory. Is that your prayer tonight, Lord? I want to see you. I want to behold your glory. I want to know your power. Then he goes on. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. So there's Bible for lifting up your hands in praise. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows 
close behind you. Literally, my soul follows hard after you. My soul clings to you, the NIV says. Your right hand upholds me. And we'll end our reading there at verse 8. What a psalm on the passionate pursuit of God's presence. C.H. Spurgeon in his commentary on the psalms, wonderful commentary, three volumes, if you don't know about those, says that Chrysostom, who was a church father, tells us that among the primitive early Christians, it was decreed and ordained that no day should pass without a public singing of this Psalm 63. So this was an expression of the early church, a longing after God, a longing after his presence, his glorious presence. In fact, most days that pass, I uh, pray Psalm 27, verse 4. Uh, One thing I ask for, this will I seek. I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I don't know whether you've discovered uh, Jeremy Riddle's new album. I think it's called In the Prayer Room. It's amazing. It's just very contemplative and uh, it just is a wonderful um, instrument to, ha- to have time with God alone. If you, if you don't have it, get it, download it and listen to some of the songs. It is based on Psalm 63. I want you to listen to these words. For I've seen you, I've beheld your glory and I am ruined. For there is none to compare. And I long to know you and the depths of your love that always leaves me time and time again undone. And I want to ask you tonight, have you ever been ruined in the presence of God? Have you ever been undone? What I'm trying to say is, once you, and I've said it before these weeks, once you get a glimpse of the glory of God, specifically in the face of Jesus Christ, But once you get a taste of the real thing, the powerful, dense, kabod, the weight of God, the shekinah glory of God, the power and the presence of God, when you get a touch of that, you're ruined for everything else. You should be. Now this psalm, if you look at the start of it, uh, some some of your um, editions of the Bible will tell you that David was in the wilderness of Judah and we're not sure whether that was when he was running away from Saul at the beginning of his uh, uh, career or whether it was later on when he was running from Absalom, his son. We probably think it was the earlier uh, incident with Saul. doesn't really matter, but he's in the wilderness. So think about this now. This is the context of this guy in the desert and here's a lesson right away. The wilderness is often the place that we will meet the glorious presence of God. And the Israelites were out in the wilderness when God came to the tabernacle and journeyed with them there. And it's very often in the dustiness, the aridity, the dryness, the thirst, a dry and thirsty land. Maybe you find yourself here tonight in that place, that wilderness experience, that desert dry place. Well, you have a head start because very often it was in those places that God showed up with his glorious presence. I want to share with you two other people, apart from David in this psalm, two other people in the Old Testament who had a passionate pursuit of the glorious presence of God. The first is Moses and the second is Isaiah. 
So I want you to turn, first of all, to um, Exodus chapter 33. Uh, if you've got a Bible or your phone or whatever you look it up with, please go to Exodus 33, okay? Verse 12. There's a lot going to be tied together here tonight from, from the previous weeks that we've been looking at. Verse 12 of Exodus 33. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, If I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight. And I've said this previously. If you want to know God, like Moses says, I want to know you, that I may find grace in your sight, you've got to know his ways. Moses understood that. Show me now your way, so that I might know you. You can't know God if you don't know his ways and abide by his ways. In Psalm 103, verse 7, as we've said before, it says there that, God made known his ways to Moses, but his acts or his deeds to the children of Israel. In other words, they saw all the miracles. They could pull the tent uh, door back and look out and see the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. They heard about the miracles. They saw many of them through Moses. You can have miracles. You can see signs and wonders. You can move in the gifts of the Spirit, but you don't necessarily know his ways. That's why Jesus will say to many on that day, I never knew you. And they'll say, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and we did miracles in your name. And Jesus says, I don't know you because you didn't walk in my ways. That's basically what he says. You didn't, you didn't follow my will. That's, that's something. The ways of the Lord. We need to know the mind of the Lord and the ways of the Lord. But that's, that's a whole other subject. And then it says, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And remember we said that Moses had a choice. God says, I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel, but I'm not going with you. And you can go into the promised land. And we said previously that Moses was tantamount to saying back to God, I don't want the promised land if I can't have your presence. I'd rather have your presence without the promised land than the promised land without your presence. And some of us are prepared to have our promised lands without the presence of God. And that promised land could be a ministry. That promised land could be a career. That promised land could be a persona. That promised land could be a social media profile. We could go on and on. But where's the presence? That's all that matters. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, here it is, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be, so, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all people who are upon the face of the earth. What Moses is saying is this. The distinctive mark of God's people is what? His presence. How will they know that, that we're your people if your presence isn't with us? The question is, where is God's presence with his people the church today? Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Moses said, please show me your glory. Same prayer really as David in Psalm 63. 
please show me your glory. Is that your the passionate pursuit of the glorious presence of God? And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now this is amazing. What did Moses ask God for? To see what? His glory. What did God say he would do for him? I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. So what what effectively is going on here is God is saying that my glory is my goodness. My glory is my goodness. And you need to, if you want to see the glorious presence of God, you need to see the goodness of God. You need to understand how good He is. I will make all my goodness pass before you. He's a good, good Father. He's a holy God. That's what good means as well, by the way. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. You see, you can't see the face of God. It's not because he wants to exterminate us all. It's because we're mortal. He is immortal, inapproachable in light and in glory. So we just be snuffed out like a moth. So he says, you can't see my face. So I'm going to put you in the cleft. This is beautiful. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to put my hand over you. That's what the cross is, by the way. The cleft of the rock where God puts his hand over us. Jesus is the cleft of the rock. He puts his hand over us. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, you've hedged me in behind and before and you've laid your hand upon me. That's the covering of God Almighty. And then he says, now when I'm, when I'm moving out, when I'm past you, you can't look at me and live, when I'm past you, I'll take my hand off and you'll see literally it means back parts my afterglow. My Shekinah glory. Isn't it beautiful? And it all came because Moses said, I want to know your ways, I want to know you, and I want to see your glory. And God said, well then you need to see my goodness. I want to ask you tonight, are you seeing the goodness of God? Are you, do you know that he's good? Have you got into his presence and experienced his goodness? We'll see in a moment that David did. He said, your loving kindness is better than life. Goodness. Do you know that God is good? See, even the goodness of God leads us to repentance. That's what makes a change in our lives when we understand how good God is. And then look over with me at Isaiah's experience in Isaiah chapter 6. This is a little bit different because Isaiah really wasn't seeking after God's presence. And so in one sense, you've got a, uh, someone who's pursuing his presence um, from the get-go in Moses, but Isaiah wasn't so much until he got in to a revelation of the goodness and presence of God. And Isaiah chapter 6, and I believe this is prophetic in many respects to our day and age in which we live. It says, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up on his tree, and the robe filled the temple. Now Uzziah was an amazing king. He was an innovator. He was a military master. Um, he was a godly man up until the end of his life 
when he really took on priestly duties that he wasn't ordained to do, and God struck him down with leprosy in that moment. And the whole nation was devastated at the death of Uzziah the king because they had begun to put their sights on this king. They began to focus on this man, godly man that he was. They began to look at a monarch. They began to look at an institutional king. And they got their eyes off the Lord. And here's a prophetic word. That the old needs to die in order that the new comes forth. And I believe that the demise of evangelicalism and Christianity in Ireland today, particularly the north, is happening because God is doing it. Now the enemy's doing it, of course. But the Lord is allowing, the, the enemy don't tell much. But the enemy doesn't even realize that he is fulfilling God's purposes. Because the, the old has to die for the new to come forth. And sometimes what we're trying to do is we're trying to breathe life into the old corpse that God wants dead and buried. And a lot of what is an expression of so-called Christianity here in, in Northern Ireland, particularly in the corn market area, is and God, God's putting it into the sod. And there might be laws that will come forth. There might be things that we will think, oh, this is terrible. This is an injunction on free speech and all the rest. But I'm telling you, this is what I believe and what I believe God has showed me, that God's doing it. God's allowing it to happen. Because it doesn't represent them. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. New law today, was it today it was passed or a ruling to say that you're not able to pray now in some of these exclusion zones around abortion clinics. You're not going to be allowed to pray. If there's a church within so many, it's 120 yards from an abortion clinic, they're not allowed to pray publicly or put any placards or any signs on their building. This, this is an encroachment of freedom of speech and all the rest it is. But did you know you can't stop anybody praying? Did you know that? And you don't need to shoot. See, we are, sorry, I'm digressing here, but we are so daft at times that the children of this world are wiser than the children of light at times. You know, there's, there are people being locked up in certain places in the world. I have to be careful what I say because of what they're doing for the Lord. But do you remember when Jesus performed a miracle? Very often he said to the boy that he healed or the woman, now don't, don't tell anybody. Right? So that means if social media was around in Jesus' day, he didn't plaster it all over it. Because very often when we are doing that, we are giving the enemy ammunition, the accuser of the brethren, to come back at us. Now I'm not saying we don't put anything on social media. I put stuff on social media. What I'm saying is we have to be more savvy in the spirit about this stuff. The biggest church in the world, growth-wise today, is in China. And it's an underground church. And one of the fastest growing churches in the world is Iran and it's an underground church and all the communism and all the ayatollahs in the world cannot stop the Lord God Almighty so let's not worry about laws and that's not, I'm not saying we don't fight against for civil liberties and all that, I'm not saying that I'm just saying let's get our eyes back on the Lord and let whatever die that needs to die because some of it has to die in order that God's new thing will come forth. And it wasn't until this king died that Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on what? A throne. He's in charge. The Tory government is not in charge. 
The European Court of Human Rights is not in charge. The Secretary of State for Northern Ireland is not in charge. The DUP and Sinn Féin, the SDLP Alliance, the Ulster Unionists, are not in charge. God is on the throne. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it. And the people who dwell there. Amen. Now look at this throne. I want you to get the picture of this in your mind's eye. Above it stood the seraphim. One had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now do you have eyes to see that the whole earth is full of his glory? Is that not what that verse says? That it is already full of his glory? It is? Not it will be. There's another verse in Haggai chapter 2 that says, The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But notice the difference. This says that the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, is filled currently. But Haggai says the earth shall be filled not with the glory of the Lord, but shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's all got to do with whether you have eyes to see it or not. Remember I said last week and the week before that the two fellas or girls sitting beside one another in the same venue where the presence of God is and one is struck dumb by the awesome, undone, ruined, and the other stone cold like a statue, oblivious to the presence of God. You need to ask God to open your eyes that you would see the glory of God that covers the earth. That you would have the knowledge of the glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Verse 4, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. That's Shekinah glory. So I said, Woe is me! This is Isaiah. Woe is me! I am undone! Ruined! It's a bit different, isn't it? Ruined, undone in the presence of God. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And you know, Isaiah is called the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. Did you know that? That Hebrew scholars look at the particular writing styles of the Old Testament saints, and Isaiah stands out above them all in his ability with language. And he's a prophet. So he uses his mouth, he uses his pen as a ready writer, and yet he's coming here saying, I've got unclean lips. And I don't know whether he had a problem of exaggeration or he had a problem of talking about other prophets or whether he let the odd switcher out now and again. I don't know what his problems were. But he had a problem with his mouth. Now this is interesting, that the very thing was the instrument that God had given him as a gift was, was something that needed cleansed something that needed sanctified. And it could be your gift tonight. The very thing that God gave you is what you need to give back to him. And he needs to sanctify that gift again to use it for his glory. Because something of uncleanness has got in. Something of the flesh has got in. Something needs sanctified. And here we see that then 1 verse 6, one of the seraphim, that's a fiery angelic creature, 
this fire creature flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from, with tongs from off the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Now that was a blood-soaked coal. The sacrifice had been soaked in the blood of the lamb, but on fire. And that's what you need. You need your lips touched with blood and fire. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. But you need this before you go, folks. Mitch talked about an encounter with a glorious presence. This is what we need. This is what we need before we go. To be ruined and undone in the presence of God. Now look at what happened. Moses saw God's goodness and Isaiah, his eyes were taken away from distractions. He turned from the distraction of Uzziah. He turned away from his own sins, the sins of his mouth. So he turned away from distraction. He turned away from sin. And he turned to the glory of the Lord. Now go back to Psalm 63 with me, and I'm nearly finished. Verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life. Can you say that tonight? I want to behold you in the sanctuary. I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness, the Hebrew word is chesed, which means covenant-keeping love, tender mercies, loving, compassionate, unfailing love. Those are the ways chesed is translated. It's very hard to translate in English, but it's basically the heart of God towards us. Your said is better than life. Can you say that? Can I say it? Lord, your love is better than life. This is like the parable of the pearl of great price where the man sells everything just to get that pearl. This is worth it, folks. It's better than living. Do we believe that? And it's, it's funny how David does this because he, he talks about how it's better than the best food. Look down. He says, um, verse 5, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, the best of food, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. You know what he's hitting at here? The appetites that I talked about. My flesh cry out for the living God. These appetites. How's your appetite? Your appetite is what often brings you fleshly satisfaction. And many of us are trying to satiate our appetites and bring satisfaction through sex, through porn, or through finances, materialism, through success in our career. We're feeding the flesh through money, through power, through comforts, through rest, or maybe food. Food's not wrong, sex's not wrong, money's not wrong, all those things are not wrong if they're in godly order. But what he's trying to say is, you see the kicks I get out of those things in the flesh that satisfy my flesh. Well, your love is better than all of that. Like the Song of Solomon says, your love is better than wine. One of the sweetest, richest things the earth can give, but your love is better than that. Sweeter are the kisses of your mouth. See, this is where we, get, we need to get. I'm going to let you into a wee secret. It's an open secret. I'm going to let you into a wee secret. Do you know how you overcome sin in your life? It's not through rules. And it's not through discipline. 
and we do often need boundaries, but the only way you will overcome sinful pleasure is whenever you have a greater pleasure. It's the only way. And that only comes when you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what puts sin to death. Nothing else is going to work. Your loving kindness is better than life. Better than the best food. Better than sleep. That's what he says, verse 7 and 8. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. That's the wrong verse. Verse 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. In other words, there's not enough hours in the day. So I need to stay up during the night. Think about you. And so when you have the choice between sleep and the loving kindness of God, I know I usually choose sleep. And we need sleep. And God created us to use sleep. No guilt trips if you need sleep. He gives us beloved sleep. If you read Word for the Day, it was amazing. Read it about sleep. It's a gift from God. But what I'm trying to say is there are times that we're so overwhelmed with the presence and the power and our spirit's awake. Our spirit's awake. Our body might be tired, but our spirit's alert to the loving kindness of God. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary see your power and your glory. One of my favorite poets is F.W. Faber. Anybody heard of F.W. Faber? Yeah? Mighty, mighty poet. Um, And he wrote a hymn. It's in most, uh, I think, most uh, reformed type hymn books, although he himself was not reformed. And it's called, My God, How Wonderful Thou Art. And uh, Tim's going to put each verse up as I quote them. Listen to this and meditate on it. My God, how wonderful thou art. Thy majesty, how bright. How beautiful thy mercy seat in depths of burning light. Wondrous are thine eternal years, O everlasting Lord, by holy angels day and night incessantly adored. O how I fear thee, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears, and worship thee with trembling hope and penitential tears. Yet I may love thee too, O Lord, almighty as thou art, for thou hast stooped to ask of me the love of my poor heart. What a verse. No earthly father loves like thee. No mother half so mild. Bears and forbears as thou hast done with me, thy sinful child. Now listen to these two verses. They are life-changing. Listen. How wonderful, how beautiful the sight of thee will be. Thine endless wisdom, boundless power and awesome purity. Father of Jesus, love divine, what rapture will it be prostrate before thy throne to lie and gaze, and gaze on thee. I have seen you. I've beheld your glory. And I am ruined. 
for there is none to compare, and I long to know you. And the depths of your love that always leaves me, time and time again, undone. You either say it or you don't. And I'm not contradicting what he said. I wouldn't dream of contradicting what Mitch says. When he talked about God loving us all, and he does, for God so loved the world. And he talked about he has no favorites, and he's right. He's not partial in that sense. He doesn't show partiality. But I do think he does have favorites. In this sense of the word, how is favorite the word made up? Favor it. Favor it. It starts with favor. But here's the way it works. Everybody potentially can enjoy as much of God as they want. And his favorites, though he loves everybody, it's an everlasting love. His favorites are those who push through with a passionate pursuit past the distractions, past the sins, past the flesh, past the soulishness, and into the spirit and experience all the favor that he has for anybody that wants it. Tim's going to play another song by Stephanie Gertzner. It's an old one. I want you to sit in the presence of God and it kind of summarizes everything we've done in the last five weeks, but it comes in a crescendo to tonight's um, theme of the passionate pursuit of the glorious presence and seeing him, seeing him, seeing him. Do you see him? Do you see him? It's called, Show Me Your Face, Lord. And let's just sit in God's presence and let him do whatever he wants to do and then We'll be led by the Spirit, however that will work. But just allow the Holy Spirit to hover over you now and reveal Christ to you in the sanctuary to behold his power and his glory.